Welcome to the Thrive TV Show with Lauren Parsons, helping you boost your health, energy, and productivity. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Thrive TV Show. I'm Lauren Parsons, your host, and today I'm joined by Jatem Heer, who is the founder of Sassy Mama and the author of The Little Tiger with the Big Temper. So welcome, Jatem. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Really nice to connect. And for those listening, you might be interested to know Jatem does, in fact, mean I love you in French, and it's a really beautiful name, and it is your real name. Is that right? it's my real name my parents were quite eccentric I think (laughs) so yeah it's an unusual name but I do love it I feel like I'm spreading good vibes anytime anybody says it (laughs) exactly it's so unique so today we are talking about conscious communication and mindfulness tools for more connected families so I know there are so many parents that will be listening and getting so much out of today we're going to talk about three key things how mindfulness can help us navigate the anxiety epidemic that we're facing at the moment, why parents need to do their best to unlearn our bad behavior and the very real benefits of meditation practice and no. Shatim's going to explain why you don't need to do a silent retreat or spend three hours a day meditating. So before we get into that, I'd love to just do my this and that questions with you, Shatim, if that's all right. Go for it. Fantastic. So tell me, cats or dogs? Definitely cats. Cats. Would you rather be invisible or able to read minds? Oh, gosh, that's an interesting one. I don't want to be able to read anybody's mind. I just feel like that's really invasive. Um, but definitely being invisible could be kind of fun. Mm, okay, great. Uh, logical or creative? Oh, definitely creative. <laughs> nice. Would you rather be on a mountaintop or an island? Mm, island. Okay. Boiled, fried or poached eggs? Mm, poached. Oh, me too. Okay. Uh, burgers or pizza? Oh, honestly, I can't stand either. (laughs) If I had to choose, I'd choose a pizza that I made myself. Nice. Like salmon. Oh, nice. And city or countryside? Mm. Leaning more and more towards the countryside, the older I get. Funny, isn't it, how you change? Mm. So thank you for that. Um, just to tell everyone a little bit more about you, uh, during her struggle with prenatal depression, Jatim transformed her well-being with mindfulness practices and became driven to pass these life skills on to others. Jatim's a mum to two young twin boys, a mindfulness and meditation teacher and the author of top-rated children's mindfulness book, The Little Tiger with a Big Temper. Uh, She wrote this when she was struggling to cope with her twins' big feelings, and this unique book is crafted for the whole family. Adults learn to navigate and soothe the child's challenging emotions, while all ages can learn simple mindfulness tools to assist with self-awareness and self-regulation. So do you want to just tell us a bit about how did you get into doing what you're doing now, Jatim? Well, as you mentioned, um, it did the book itself really came from prenatal, my experience with prenatal depression. I was very intense um, and very scary, obviously, because I had two little ones inside me at that time. So I decided that I just really didn't want them swimming in my cortisol. Um, and I really, really threw myself into twice daily meditation practice, 20 minutes, 20 minutes uh, each time. 
and then really focused on mindfulness as well because when you're really self-aware you're able to understand your mindset um, and you're then you're able to reframe your situation so for me that was really useful um I, I i was able to realize that my prenatal depression was most likely situational and hormonal um i was actually my hormones were triple normal um when i was pregnant and they don't tell you mm. really quite challenging um to, to really just sort of have this upheaval in your hormones it's i guess a bit like um perimenopause or menopause it's a real shift um so yeah it, it really helped me to navigate that and of course I thought oh, I don't want my children ever exper experiencing anything like this but knowing that we can't prevent something like this from from depression or anxiety happening with my with any of our children we can the best we can do is to teach them the tools to navigate it and that became really important to me. And I thought, hey, why not, why not just put it into a book that all families can use? Um, and the book came about when the boys were two years old, because I, at that point, as you mentioned, <laughs> it was re I realized that I wasn't coping very well with their big feelings. So and they were freaking out about the wrong colored cup or how I poured milk on their porridge. I would be kind of mirroring their emotions instead of being the calm to their storm. Yeah. Wow. And it must be must have been such an effort, I can imagine, with yeah, one and a half, two-year-old twins to even write the book and get it published. So congratulations and well done you. Thank you. So I know that you said you, you believe that we're experiencing an anxiety epidemic here in the Western world. So really interested to hear your thoughts on, you know, what's driving that and why is mindfulness so important? Oh, what's driving it is a really good question. I don't know if anybody's figured that out. Um, I know that I'm not a psychologist. I, I'm a mindfulness teacher, but I do know that psychologists have been saying for years that the Western world are facing an anxiety epidemic. Mm -hmm. um, they're now saying, or the World Health Organization is now saying that anxiety and depression incidences have increased 25% since COVID. So what was already pretty dire is now even worse. Um, we have got to step up. What's driving it? I, I don't know. I, I wish I knew the answer to that. I mean, I've got my suspicions that social media is really not helping us. Yeah. Hustle culture is not helping us. I mean, all of the things that we, um, modern life is so fast paced now and so rushed and driven and, you know, families aren't sitting down to dinner as often together anymore. Um, we're rushing off to lessons and classes and people are working late and, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of a lot for people to take on. I think um, the most important thing we can do is actually just to be aware of our experience in the moment, which mindfulness can teach us to do. And along with that self awareness, know know how to meet our own needs as well. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at road rage, for example, it has increased since the pandemic as well. So there there are ways that people are behaving, which is demonstrating the amount of stress that they're carrying in their body on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Mm. And it's so interesting, isn't it? I mean, we there's, I know there's a lot of research into the brain and even how the brain works and just it is. It's, I don't think we fully understand the impacts of technology, particularly smart devices, social media. You know, that we have this whole generation of children growing up that have always uh, lived with that. And most of them, you know, once they reach that age of having their own cell phone, they have it constantly with them. As an adult, I have mine virtually constantly with me. And yet before I was 20, cell phones didn't exist. So it is hard for us to, I think, know, you know, understand the impacts we're seeing attention spans shortening and and just, yeah, the speed of information getting through and, yeah, the pressure that comes with all of those online medias is it's interesting. So, but yeah, like yourself, I don't have um, this the scientific data, but there's a lot of things that we can infer from, I think, from the way that lives are being lived. So, and like yourself, you know, it's really powerful to look at the power of mindfulness. So tell us a bit more about how mindfulness can help us navigate anxiety in ourselves and our children. Well, the beautiful thing about mindfulness is that it helps us to get in touch with ourselves and in touch with our emotions. Um, and once once we're aware of our situation, we're able to take a pause. It teaches us to take a pause instead of rushing to respond, uh, to react to a situation. We pause and we're able to look at that situation and then choose what our response should be, which mm-hmm. is perfect for communication, especially when we're dealing with little ones, but also when That's we're dealing sense. with colleagues or people on the road that cut us off or anything that might um, cause us to want to sort of flare up. Um, So it's a lot about emotional literacy and it's also about self-awareness. Now, the other thing is there's such a deep understanding of yourself that comes from that. So let's say, for example, that um, you are really triggered by loud noises or, you know, you can actually pause and, and, and think, what is it about this noise? What is it about the situation? When have I felt this way before? And then you'd be amazed at the kind of healing that you can actually get when you start navigating your emotional journey and why you're responding to things in the way you do and what your behavioral patterns are. Um, The other thing about mindfulness is it can help us with our eating as well, mindful eating. So, you know, we've talked about the anxiety epidemic, but New Zealand statistics around obesity and diabetes are also pretty dire so without meaning to be all doom and gloom mindfulness has helped with my eating because instead of rushing for that 3 p.m fix of chocolate I can think okay I'm craving something right now I feel like I need an energy fix maybe a quick walk around the block five minute walk around the block or a quick breather um perhaps a nice smoothie you know we can actually just be really conscious about the the actions that we make and put more of a choice around those actions rather than just we live our lives on autopilot so mindfulness takes pulls us back from autopilot and helps us to think about making conscious decisions Mm, fantastic which is so key you know as a parent and when you're setting the tone in your family and I like what you say about mindful eating as well it's one of my key philosophies when I, I boil everything in nutrition down to just two things and that is eat real food and eat mindfully and if we can do those two things then yeah it just makes the world a difference Mm. so for people that are listening in that are thinking oh wow I can immediately see that I think probably 100% of parents uh, at some point will have had those moments where we do react where our buttons get pushed because our children are very good at that 
being able to take that pause and then choose how you want to respond rather than reacting. I mean, when we talk about it here logically, it's so powerful. But in the moment, it isn't always that easy. So can you perhaps share what are some, some tips or ideas around how do parents actually master that skill of practicing mindfulness in those moments? There's, um, there's a technique that I outline in my children's book, actually. Um, and the, the purpose of the book is really to teach families and to get parents on board. Um, mindfulness is starting to be taught in schools, which is fabulous. Mm. However, it's called mindfulness practice for a reason. It has to be practiced regularly. So that becomes a habit. So that's key. You've got to practice it. Mm-hmm. Um, we all slip into old behaviors. Behaviors are learned. Um, and so we do slip into that. And, and oftentimes those will be the reactions, the things that we just, are, you know, we, we, we shout because that's what we're used to doing. Um, so, again, it really is about taking that pause. And the sim- very simple technique that I teach in the book, which is, um, is using the acronym STOP, which is S, literally stop. Stop what you're doing. T, take a breath. Mm-hmm. Oh, that breath is magic because yeah. when we come back to that, that's the pause right there. And that's, that's also calming our body. It's putting us back into um, rest or digest state rather than panic or anger. And so if we t- take more than one breath. I say take four. <laughs> take a few breaths. Um, oh, observe. Observe what you're feeling. Observe the situation. What's actually happening right now. Um, and just look at it with curiosity and compassion and, and think, okay, wow, I'm about to lose it at my kids. What are they actually doing? They're jumping on the couch. Okay, I don't like that because it is damaging my furniture. But they're just little kids having fun. So maybe I can just shift this. Okay, so then P is proceed and proceed when you feel more calm. So now you've already you've, you stepped back, you've looked at the situation, and you're able to think, okay, I'm not going to yell at them for jumping on the couch. I'm going to set up a space where they can jump. I can send them out to the garage on, or um, to play out there or play, um, what is that game, hot lava in the garage. Or um, we've got a carpeted garage, which we've done as a playroom for our kids. Um, and the other thing, oh, it's trampoline outside. You know, we can just shift. Mm. Nice. And I love, I'm just having a look in your book because I I love that, that, you know, that's a fabulous children's book, which guides the kids through the story of this tiger having to deal with his big emotions, but it also has these little side panels where you're outlining things like that, that stop process. And it sounds so simple. And yet at the same time, it's so incredibly powerful. You can just see how that literally that, that stopping and taking the breath and observing such a key step isn't it before you decide how you're going to respond how you're going to proceed so yeah fantastic well you mentioned that you you feel that as parents that we have these old behaviors that we need to unlearn can you tell us a bit more about that uh, well all behavior is learned and if you look back over previous generations I mean we had um 
I had one of the grandfathers over for dinner a while ago and um, the kids were mucking around at the dinner table and he was laughing. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, he's probably going to be thinking, oh, these kids are little rat bags. <laughs> um, but he, he actually just laughed and later he pulled me aside and he said, if I'd behaved like that at the dinner table, I would have gotten beaten with a jug cord, which made me feel so upset. But that's the kind of generational stuff that I'm talking about. And so it's no wonder that instinctively we feel angry when children are being children or we feel really challenged by their behavior sometimes. Um, and, you know, there's a really interesting, one of my other passions is epigenetics and um, how trauma is actually passed down through people's DNA. So, before your children have even had any traumatic experiences in life, they've actually inherited trauma from great, 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 great grandparents in their DNA. It's pretty astounding. Um, but what is really astounding, and I think most of us actually know this if we think about it, there was an amazing study done on mice recently um, where the Male baby mice and the mother mice were separated at birth, which caused traumatic stress. Now, the way that that traumatic stress played out in those male mice as they grew up was exactly the way it does in humans. It was shown as depressive behavior, risk-taking, antisocial behavior. And so... As those mice grew up, they, that, that's how they behaved. They, they couldn't, they were struggling to get over the trauma of being separated from their mother at birth. So then they did another experiment on mice that were put in a really positive environment. They'd still been through the traumatic separation from their mother, but they had this really positive environment that they were brought up in. And guess what? There were no epigenetic markers of trauma in the sperm cells of those male mice when they were fathers. So we can undo damage like that. It's awesome. It's just so inspiring and motivating to me. The Dalai Lama said that if we could teach every child to meditate, we could eliminate violence within one generation. And I just think that's proof right there, isn't it? But if we can change our behaviors and increase the positivity in our environment for our children, we're creating a whole different world in the future. Wow. And that's big stuff. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you had, I guess, that positive uh, finding to share after, you know, what you said about epigenetics, because, you know, that's really hard hitting, isn't it, to think, um, what you're saying about trauma affecting our children. You know, these are things that are outside of our control, but what you're saying is it's not actually outside of our control, that we can create a, a calm and loving environment for our children and that that will actually reprogram the way that they operate. Is yeah, that yeah, yeah. I mean, think of the saying that um, people used to say just in um, previous generations, children should be seen and not heard. Well, children should be seen and heard and they need to be validated for all of their emotional experiences because we're humans. Feelings are what make us human and we're just going to go through this rainbow of emotions every day. 
Um, yeah, so we've got to normalize that and we've got to teach children to self-regulate. I and mean, it's funny, really, isn't it, that we as adults get so upset about a child's behavior when actually we're kind of like giant babies having tantrums because someone cut us off in the road or there's a long queue in the supermarket. <laughs> it's like, or maybe we've been on hold for a phone call for two, two minutes too long. And there we are acting like little babies. And then we expect these babies to be, to be born, able to self-regulate. Well, we were never taught to self-regulate. So we've got to learn to self-regulate ourselves. And, and that was the whole point of my book because we've got to be doing this as families so that as adults we're role modelling this stuff to our children. Mm. And it's so important. It's, you know, it really is at the heart of emotional intelligence, isn't it, being able to self-regulate because we all have different emotions that come and go. None of us is going to just, you know, life is not like this all of the time. We're going to have good and bad days and good and bad moments within days. So really interesting. I like your analogy of, you know, the whole rainbow of different emotions that we'll experience in a day as well and um i love the analogy of you know thinking of how we're feeling as being a bit like a cloud that mm. it's not it's not i am anxious that i am the feeling i just feel anxious right now and so i'm not the cloud i'm the sky and that those feelings are like the clouds that come and go in the sky that whole idea that the more we can understand our emotions and that they will come and go and help our children to better do the same is really powerful, you know, and this is for young children, for preteens, for teens, and actually for us as adults. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've, um, I've seen how the conscious communication techniques in my book work. My, my children know how to do this stuff. And so, you know, they're, they're almost six, but, the other day I was having, I was having my, one of my grown-up baby tantrums <laughs> about having to clean the kitchen after dinner and it was a blimmin' mess and I was stressed and the kids had spilled Lego everywhere and it was bedtime and everything was not running to schedule, you know, the usual things that we go through with little kids. And I went and I was like, I need to go and take myself and calm down. So I took myself into the kids' room. For some reason I, 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 was, I went in there and I saw that their beds weren't made and I was like, oh, well, great. <laughs> now I have to make two beds as well. They know that they have to make their beds before school, but they hadn't done it. So anyway, um, Oliver comes in, one of my sons, and he says, mommy, let's have a talk. <laughs> I sat down on his bed and I said, you sure, darling, this is a good idea. He said, I can see that you're really frustrated right now. And I said, yes, can I tell you why? It's just because I feel like I don't have time to be the fun mum because I'm always the cooking and the cleaning mum. You know, if, if you guys did a little bit more of the stuff that your chores that you were asked to do, I'd have more time for bedtime stories and games. He was like, mm, okay, I understand that. Shall we take some breaths together? Wow. <laughs> Like, yes, let's do that. So I take some, we're, we're sitting there belly breathing. I'm on one of on his brother's bed. He's on his bed. And then he comes over, he puts his hand on my knee and rubs it and says, do you feel better now, mummy? I was like, yeah, I do. You're amazing. And this, like, it's not my son's job to teach me how to self-regulate. Yeah. But he's learned to self-regulate at five years old. And that was just such powerful stuff to me that not only has he learned to self-regulate, he's learned to consciously communicate with someone who's dysregulated, even an adult. Mm. And 
you know, he knew how to communicate with someone to make their, them feel validated and then to help them calm down. It was just mm-hmm. super. It's actually really beautiful, yeah, and I can re- relate to some similar things, particularly one of my daughters who seems to be particularly attuned to how everyone's feeling and to how mum is feeling, and so she'll notice if I'm in those moments and those very similar scenarios that she'll come over and be like, mum, do you need a hug? I love you, mum. And I'm like, yes, I know. And and it does, it just instantly helps you to, to reframe how you're feeling and to recenter. So I love the fact that, you know, what you're describing is obviously the way that you're showing up as role modeling to them. And then they're starting to use that language back, which is what children do. We see it and hear it all the time, whether it's great examples or not so great examples. Mm. So can you tell me for people that are listening in, for parents that are listening, perhaps, what are some of the things, if, especially if, the, if all of this is new, so if someone's never done meditation, they've never really practiced mindfulness or being present or they perhaps heard about it, but they you know, haven't really taken action yet, where, where should they start? Can you give people some, I guess, some tips on what to do, how to get started, practical ideas? Well, one thing just that I should first clarify is that Mindfulness is, is a number of things, which includes, um, you know, the mindful pause, which we've touched on um, using the acronym STOP. Um, and it also includes the sort of the belly breathing and the self-regulating. And meditation is also part of that toolkit. So meditation is actually pretty easy to get going with if, if, you, if you want to. Um, it is free for starters. And there are loads of apps that can get you going. I started out with Headspace. Um, I now teach on Insight Timer. So I record guided meditations and put them on there. That's a really good one for guided meditations. I think guided is a great way to go. There are um, free mindfulness tools on SoundCloud. Um, I think there might even be some on Spotify. There are a number of podcasts um the names of some of them escape me now um but we yeah I can always send some links later so there's lots of ways to get started but the key is to just get started um I think humans crave becoming better that's why in the new year gyms have this massive influx of sign-ups and then you know it gets hard because we can't there is no quick fix and that's why gyms have this you know, drop off midway through the year. And meditation is the same. And same with mindfulness practice, as I mentioned. It's practice because we have to do it. I've, I'm not an exceptional meditator, but I believe in the benefits. Um, I know that, uh, you know, all of the studies now are starting to show what the Buddhists and the monks have, and yogis have known for thousands of years. And that is that these tools are actually changing the gray matter in our brain brains. So um, thickens the prefrontal cortex, um, which is in charge of um, self-awareness and decision-making. So it's the control center, I guess you would say. Um, also thickens the hippocampus, um, which is responsible for memory. So you know, I've noticed that since I've turned 40, my memory's not as sharp as it was. I'm stepping up the meditation now to twice a day because I want to be able to remember things. I want to have a youthful brain. 
Um, more than that, mindful uh, meditation, or certainly um, mindfulness meditation, which is more of the breath focus and the awareness ones, because um, there are a lot of different types of meditation, uh, they also uh, diminish the volume in the amygdala area of the brain, which is the one that's responsible for fear and anxiety and stress. So, you know, that's also showing and at least indicating that it's increasing feelings of well-being, equanimity, um, and our resilience as we're able to cope with more challenging times. So there are all these good reasons to, to do it. Um, the other thing that's positive is that studies are also showing that frequency is the key. Um, so it's got to become a habit. Like nobody looks forward to brushing their or flossing their teeth, but we do it twice a day. I hope <laughs> everybody's doing it twice a day. Um, and so mindfulness, yeah, the, uh, and meditation, the frequency is key. 10 minutes a day, every day is better than 70 minutes once a week. But studies are showing that 12 to 20 minutes of meditation every day for eight weeks um, are making those dramatic changes in the brain, um, which is super exciting stuff, I think, you know, and certainly that's what I saw in, in my prenatal depression was this profound change in my well-being. By the end of my pregnancy, I was on cloud nine and everyone was like, how are you feeling good right now when this is you're out to here with twins? Um, I was in a lot of physical pain with my back, but I was feeling great and I was able to cope better with the pain as well, I'm sure, because of the meditation. And that's another thing people have found that with the body scan, which is another type of meditation, is that by scanning and noticing different parts of our body, we're able to really consciously relax our muscles where it's needed and notice pain and just, you know, you'd think that by focusing on something, it would make it worse, but it seems to diminish its impact. Mm, that's incredible. And I think particularly where you mentioned there, you know, I want to have a youthful brain. I can imagine that everyone listening in, you know, our ears are pricking up at that going, yeah, wow, when you put it that way, you know, there are things that we can do day to day practicing mindfulness that actually give you a youthful brain. So yeah, I'm certainly sold. So, so thank you so much for everything that you've shared. I know that there's so many, as you say, so many different ways to practice mindfulness. And the more that we do this, as you say, it's a practice, the more it's going to make an impact, not just for ourselves and our day to day when we're out driving, when we're interacting with colleagues and friends and as a parent. So if people wanted to find out more uh, or get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that as your team? Uh, the best way is probably to head to my website, which is sassymama.co um, or .co.nz. Um, both go to the same site, so don't worry. But uh, yeah, to sell my book internationally, I set up a .co. Nice, fantastic. So sassymama.co.nz. And also, uh, if you are just listening into the audio version and you want to see the video version of this episode of Thrive TV, make sure you head to thrivetvshow.com and you'll be able to see the whole video version and also get all of the links below. So be able to connect in with your team through the links down in the show notes. So thank you so much for joining us. If there's just one more thing that you wanted to share with everyone listening in, what would that be? Oh, just pause, pause, pause when your little one wants to hold your hand across the road and just look down at their little hand in yours and just appreciate the beauty of this little 
tiny, wonderful human who thinks you're the bee's knees because, you know, soon there'll be teenagers and they might not want to hold your hand so much. And pause when you're angry and think about your response. Pause when you're stressed. You know, what do I need right now? If we pause instead of rushing and hustling all the time, like everybody tells us we should, you know, racing from A to B, the more we pause, the better our life is. So pause as often as you can. That's my advice. That's beautiful, beautifully said, and yeah, wonderful for all of us as parents to say it goes so quick. It's such a cliche that we hear, but the more that we pause and actually focus on it, the more that we enjoy it. So thank you so much for your time, Jatim. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. I've really, it's been a lovely chat. Yeah, it's fantastic. So thank you to everyone for listening in. That's been another episode of the Thrive TV show. Go out and thrive. Thank you for listening to The Thrive TV Show with Lauren Parsons. Visit thrivetvshow.com to access the show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next inspiring episode.